0: That's good. Happy anniversary.
1: Oh, <laughs> thank you. Thank you. <laughs> I
2: just wanted to come on and say hi and congratulations.
0: I appreciate it. I just have to point out probably that this is being recorded. I don't suspect I'll use this, but. Uh...
1: <laughs> That's not horrifying at all. Hello mm-hmm. to the around the nation.
0: <laughs> you might you might make uh, the. <laughs> The cold
1: open on episode 304. I don't know that you guys want me on any part (laughs) of your show, much less the opening. That seems like a surefire way to get people to change the channel or
0: whatever it is that they do. That's going to play right into my on the spot, by the way. On the spot. Oh, my goodness.
3: Football fans, it's now time for the D3Football.com Around the Nation podcast. Here are your hosts, Matt Coleman.
2: You have a very forceful
0: handshake, Mr. Coleman.
3: And Greg Thomas.
0: Thank you, Greg. That was interesting, too. It's the D3Football.com Around the Nation podcast, your podcast about the largest division of college football, where we welcome you to episode number 304, season 16, episode 3, or it's your podcast for May 26th. 2022 I'm so confident that this podcast is going out on May 26, 2022, that I'm not even bothering to record May 25, 2022. May 27, 2022, definitely May 26th. I'm Pat Coleman. I'm the editor and publisher of d3football.com.
1: And I'm Greg Thomas. I am the Around the Nation columnist for d3football.com. And Pat, you know, championships are won in the offseason. And here we are at the end of May in the studio recording division three football content
0: that we are doing i tell you though i mean you know we recorded a podcast uh you know when your team was participating in the division three men's basketball final four the division three baseball season is still going on i just have to say five seconds right up top right now catholic university is still alive in the division three baseball tournament reaching the super regional round they'll be playing at ithaca this weekend weather permitting I hope it does happen, because if it doesn't, then I think Ithaca automatically advances if they can't get those games in, because that is what baseball is like. We know about teams automatically advancing if games can't be played, but uh, that's last year. Maybe we won't have any of that in 2022. By When you guys can first hear this podcast, we will be 98 days away from September 1, when the first game of the 2022 season can be played and will be played the first ones on the schedule at least for the moment is between uw platteville and division two michigan tech a 6 p.m kickoff on september 1 it's a little early for me to get too excited for that game but you know we talked about some great non-conference games that were new last week last month the last time we did a podcast uh and uh there are a lot of other games to look forward to in the early weeks of the season as well yeah look at that last
1: week you're already in mid-season form pat <laughs> I was gonna edit that out, but now I guess I have to keep it in. We do. There are a lot of interesting games. We talked about the powerhouse games last week, but there are also some interesting games. And I always like to see some of those games where we get interregional matchups, and we have some really interesting uh, east to west. Oh, no, I'm sorry, it's west to east this year. Uh, games we have Whitworth going out to Carnegie Mellon, Linfield out to Huntington. Huntington will host a game, but from people from far away, they will do that. Once a year or so, it seems. Uh, Pacific Lutheran going to Bethel. That's still West region, but that's still quite a hike for PLU. And that's in the six. It is in the six. And I think we just uh, ran a story about PLU getting 10 games on a schedule for the first time. So that's great for the Lutes. Um, Another not necessarily West to East game, but another interesting game that popped out at me on the schedule is Johns Hopkins going to Case Western Reserve. I think that's really interesting game between um those teams
0: yeah it's a nice step up for case right i mean cases non-conference game for the last several years has been against university of rochester and uh you know that's a great game if you are a uaa fan it's hard to be a uaa fan in football because the uaa doesn't participate in football it's kind of a fringe uaa game if you think about johns hopkins at case western reserve once upon a time Super geeky basketball stuff. You can look it up. Anyway, that's a thing that's going to happen. Uh, there's a couple of other games I was looking at too. I mean, we didn't mention on this podcast last time around uh, that Harden Simmons was going to UW-Platteville. I got some DMs on the Twitters uh, when we published that that game was going to happen saying, hey, just FYI, that game isn't final yet. So we just kind of didn't talk about it on this podcast, but that's another one of those great Uh, ASC versus Wyatt games, and hopefully we'll have a whole slate of ASC versus Wyatt games if that challenge that uh, Coach Larry Harmon talked about in the last podcast actually happens. That will be a lot of fun. I picked out the St. Scholastica-Sewanee game. I mean, these are uh, also two teams that are probably somewhat evenly matched. Sewanee was at the airport, I believe, on the way to go to St. Scholastica last September when this game was canceled because of COVID concerns. Uh, So that game didn't happen. Uh, But uh, looking forward to that happening this time. And then this one is is new for this year that, again, one of those games that in another year would have been pretty interesting to talk about um, and is like, you know, now like 10th or 12th on the list. But uh, Westminster, Pennsylvania against Delaware Valley is a great game between two teams from the extreme opposite ends of the Commonwealth of Pennsylvania.
1: Yeah, we'd gotten used to seeing Delaware Valley uh, play a non-conference game with Wesley. That was a nice little rivalry that was developed, oftentimes turned into a a precursor for a a week one or two playoff game between those same two teams. But, uh, you know, Delaware Valley now seeking out some different opponents and uh, this game against Westminster will be a good game. They're they're one of the better teams in the pack. Uh, Delaware Valley, we always like to see what Delaware Valley can do against top 40 top 50 type teams. We we know that against a lot of teams in the Mac, they give up negative rushing yards and don't get challenged a whole ton. Um, this should be a little bit different challenge for them against Westminster.
0: Last year, they played Kane and Montclair State in non-conference. This year, it will be Westminster and Montclair State. So at least on paper, and all the games right now are on paper, or in your computer or on the screen on your phone. All these games are in pixels right now, I guess is the way you say that in 2022. But we'll see how they actually how they actually turn out. Of course, so that's 2022, right? That's coming up. But we're already looking at things that are going to happen in 2023 as well. Uh you know, it has been a of course a year of upheaval in which or it will be a year of upheaval, I guess, in 2023, when Wilkes and Lycoming join the landmark conference for all of their sports and the landmark uh, football teams come home. There will be a landmark conference champion. There will be a landmark conference automatic bid in 2023. And it's also having some impact on how teams are scheduling and how conferences are scheduling as well in that year.
1: Yeah. This week we saw, or uh, earlier this month. See, well, It all melds together this week. Earlier this month, the Empire 8 and the Landmark Conference announced a uh, a scheduling agreement between those teams. We're going to see some crossover between the Empire 8 and the Landmark once the Landmark gets going. I think it's nice to get some new games. You're going to get some teams from the CC, from the MAC, teams that have been in the CC and the MAC and the New MAC forming uh, the Landmark Conference. They're going to go play the Empire 8 and... We get a lot of non-conference games between the Empire 8 and the Liberty League, and those are good games. They're very regional, um, and we love four weeks of Empire 8, Liberty League crossover, but I also think it's really nice to uh, get a bigger sandbox, get some more games between teams that haven't often played each other. That helps uh, build interest in the game for casual fans, and I think it also helps voters and selection
0: committees compare teams across leagues and across regions. Yeah, I mean, I don't know that I need four weeks of Empire 8 Liberty League games, right? I'm interested in, like, the conversation just recently was like, you know, some of these new matchups. And I immediately went back to, I am I am heavy on my alma mater here in the first 10 minutes of this podcast, which is very rare. Uh, but I go back to, like, uh, 1994 and 95 and 93 Catholic St. John Fisher games or Catholic Alfred games. You're gonna get you're gonna get to see games like that. You'll have I don't know I and games such as those. Obviously, we don't know the specific matchups for these crossover games that are coming a year and a half from now. But you could have I don't know something like Moravian against Cortland or uh, Brockport against Susquehanna. Brockport Susquehanna would probably be a pretty good game actually. I'm you know just uh, you know, there's anything that that. That is the nice thing about some of these things things getting shaken up. We'll have those games between the Centennial and the NJAC. That was a conference crossover agreement that was previously announced. We'll have this as well. And I think that'll be, at least it'll be a little more interesting. As you say, we'll see teams in different combinations, and that can't hurt. Coming up in just a couple of minutes, we have two guests for this podcast. First, we'll be chatting with Nate Milne. He's the head coach at Muhlenberg. He was heavily mentioned in the last podcast. We're going to talk to him he is on a balcony in an oceanfront home just outside of Barcelona. Boo! <laughs> Boo! I am not there. Greg is not there. Muhlenberg was there this week, and he's going to tell us a little bit more about that. And then we're going to talk with.
2: From ABC, this is World News Tonight with Peter Jennings.
0: Peter Jennings? I mean, I know, right? The, the Peter Jennings jokes are multiple decades old of ABC World News Tonight. I think that was the name of the program. I don't watch network news anymore. But Peter Jennings is the head coach at UW Oshkosh, and we'll talk with him coming up in just a moment. We should not go any further into our podcast without thanking the people who helped make this podcast possible, and those are our Patreon subscribers. People now, uh, many of them who have stuck with us for a good year and a half... What the Patreon platform allows people to do and allows sites like us to do and podcasts and content producers in general is to offer a way for their supporters to support a production with a small monthly donation, a small recurring monthly donation, sometimes as small as $3, sometimes as much as, I kid you not, $50. Thank you to the people who are doing that and the people who are doing that still We thank you. We know which teams you follow, and we're very happy for uh, you doing that here on this podcast. It just basically is one of those things like if they were handing out the tote bags and this were, you know, public radio or a public television station to be like, you allow us to have a more steady, predictable stream of revenue. Because right now. Well, I mean, right now we've still got baseball going strong for a couple weeks, but then we're going to hit June 4th or June 6th or June 8th or whenever that tournament ends. And then, you know, it will be until about uh, middle of August before things pick back up. And the, uh, what the Patreon subscribers do is uh, then allow us to say we're going to try to get somebody to, maybe we're going to get somebody to Mary Harden, Baylor, Mule and Bird. We're probably going to get somebody to Whitewater and Mary Harden Baylor. You know, just get us an opportunity to get to some of these big things and also plan out our regular season and postseason coverage. All of these things are made more possible by the people who support us on Patreon.
1: Absolutely. And the Patreon subscribers, you're not just supporting D3Football.com, although that is a huge, huge help to us, but you're supporting all of the D3 Sports family D3 hoops, we talked about a little bit earlier. D3 baseball, the national tournament, it's going on right now. We're going to have Super Regionals this weekend leading into the Division three World Series in one week's time. In Cedar Rapids, Iowa again. Yep. There you go. And D3baseball.com is going to have all of that Super Regional and World Series coverage for you. And it is the Patreon subscribers that help support those sites uh, just as much as they support d3football.com
0: we appreciate your help if you want to help us out you can go to patreon at patreon.com slash d3 sports that's p-a-t-r-e-o-n.com uh, or if you know something on a recurring basis is not something that you want to do you can uh, uh, give us a one-time donation by going to d3sports.com slash help Or mismo en el podcast d3football.com around the nation uh hemos hablando con nathan mill and the head coach de muhlenberg hey listen we're gonna stop doing the spanish thing because my spanish is not good enough to do a podcast about football in it but we're talking with nathan mill and the head coach of muhlenberg whose team is living the uh you know living the good life right now outside of barcelona where they've uh, you know taking on a uh, team a club team on a international trip something that in division three you can do once every three years his team is doing it and he is literally still in spain as we're recording this so first of all coach kind of a late night for you but we appreciate you joining us
2: 10 35 thanks so much for having me 10:35 spanish time which if you've ever been here is not late at all Uh, Dinner starts at eight or nine o'clock at night uh, on the weekends, 10 o'clock, 11 o'clock at night. Uh, So uh, although today is uh, Monday, uh, things are are just starting to get uh, cranked up here in Spain.
0: And actually, from what, you know, I've I've never visited Spain personally, but my understanding from, you know, years of schooling years ago is that Spanish is not necessarily the language that would help me out so much in Barcelona anyway.
2: No, no. they have uh, several states here, uh, just like we do in the US, and uh, many of them uh, go back to different traditions. Uh, and, and the Catalan language is a little bit different. Uh, instead of Buenos Dias, it's Bon Dia. Okay. And so it goes back to um, many, many times. Uh, and Spain is, is, is a wonderful culture uh, between uh, the Moors, who, who ran the country for, for many, many centuries. Uh, there's the, the French border here uh, and and the Iberian Peninsula has a unique history all to its own, which our players are, are getting a firsthand experience of during the week.
0: Right. These trips are not just about getting the opportunity to play a football game, uh, although that's certainly helpful, or the extra, I think it's a 10 practices in pads and spring game that, you know, you don't always uh, that you can't usually get at the Division three level. It really is about being an educational experience.
2: It certainly is. We didn't even do the full 10 practices, uh, just didn't work out with the way our schedule was with finals and graduation and so on and so forth. Um, But for us, it truly is a cross-cultural experience. Many of our players, obviously none of them are going to go abroad in the fall. We encourage them if they want to go abroad to go abroad in the spring, but uh, football is a huge reason why they chose uh, a division three institution to, to continue that experience and uh, between weightlifting and practices and now with the added helmets and a couple of days and shoulder pads uh, it's becoming really really important for them especially if an individual is on the cusp of playing um, right. and, and they want to make that jump from role player to starter, uh, at a really, really good program, it's hard for them to choose to go abroad. And so this, uh, was, was an opportunity for us to have a full semester. Uh, and again, we went to Italy in 2019 and now Spain in 2022. Um, and so this is an opportunity for our players, even though it's seven days in country to, to have a cross-cultural experience, to speak the language, to meet the people. Uh, and it's all kind of brought to us by football. And uh, and so we bring a little bit of our culture to them on the football field, and they bring a lot of bit of their culture to us, which is just – it's been tremendous. Both opportunities have been awesome for us, and I think for anybody who's done it, I know uh, Johns Hopkins is gone when Coach Mark Graf was here, Sewanee uh, just – got back. John Carroll has gone many, many times. North Central uh, has gone abroad as well. So there are many Division Three programs and they all work with the same organization in global football. Uh, and, and they do a wonderful job bringing um, the game uh, overseas uh, where it's truly, truly for the love of the game.
0: How many guys get to make the trip for you guys then?
2: So we had 53 players travel with us, uh, which is a little bit light, um, but Some of that is due to COVID, like everything else, like every edition of a podcast or something you talk about COVID. Um, So there's a handful of our fifth years who went to Italy with us. Uh, And so they've already had this experience. And then other guys who are a little bit older, uh, again, this is Muhlenberg with 1300 SAT scores, they got to go get a job. And so there are guys who start their internships and their jobs right over as soon as school is out. Um, And so they just make that choice not to go um and and so it's it's it was a good group we were a little bit bigger in italy and i think that was again it was our first trip italy is italy um i don't know how else to describe it. <laughs> it was the center of the universe in rome for many 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 years and uh and we're in north jersey and so we've got a lot of italian heritage uh, oh, gotcha. from our, our, our players in, in north jersey um, and so it was It was really unique to bring a lot of families with us um, but it's been great uh, for us. We have about 88 so we'll bring a lot of family members uh, as well. Uh, so we have uh, about 30 family members that traveled with us as well and they help keep the kids in line. When you're overseas sometimes rules, <laughs> rules, rules don't apply overseas and so the parents help the coaches keep everybody in line.
0: Well rules don't apply and or laws are different and that sort of thing right? you got to learn.
2: Uh, I, I always say uh, it's tough for a coach to, to kind of let the reins go. Um, I think all of us are, are micromanagers a little bit, and uh, but if, if a young man, a uh, young woman was to go abroad uh, during the semester, we're not going to be there to watch over them. And so you've got to give them a little bit of freedom uh, to go out on their own and, and trust that they're going to make really, really good decisions.
0: You have been talking this whole time. I mean, before this little uh, diversion into psychology or something like that, you've been talking like a, a history prof instead.
2: Yeah, I, I did study part-time history at Hobart, I think, amongst other things. I was a history major of public policy. And so it really intrigues me um, to, to go abroad and to learn some new cultural things um, and just to to dive into it. It's really interesting to me. And I hope uh, that it becomes interesting to our players as well. I think all coaches um, you, you end up finding and searching for, and, and the program becomes a little bit of yourself. Uh, you put your own stamp on things. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm sure you, you talk to all the great coaches and all the great players and, and so on and so forth. And they become a little bit of what interests the head coach um, and and he has his influence. And so if our guys are interested in going abroad and, studying a little bit of history and a little bit of architecture and a little bit, a lot of bit of food, uh, whenever we've gone <laughs> abroad, uh, that it's always the biggest thing is, is being able to taste the food somewhere else.
0: You know, the teams, obviously there are many different countries in Europe, uh, that play American style football and, you know, at varying levels, you know, club up to semi pro that sort of thing. So I assume, you know, the, The quality of football widely varies. What did you see uh, in your guys' game? What did you see in your opponent?
2: It was really the love of the game. Uh, We saw a diverse group. This was more along the lines of a local club. Uh, Most of the players were from uh, the region, uh, and um, it it was wonderful. So I think we played uh, 18-year-old was the youngest, so similar to college. And then I know... There was a gentleman who looked about my age, uh, so the <laughs> early 40s, late 30s. And so they can they're still part of the club. Uh, and it's its really, really cool for them to be out there. I think Division three football is uh, for the love of the game, as we all know, our, our player We're not getting a lot of guys with NLIs and nobody's on scholarship. And so you have to make that choice and that jump to say, yes, I want to play college football. And I think we saw the same thing in our opponent in both uh, Italy and Spain, where you say they are here because they love football. Uh, they had about 40 players. Um, and, and it is for the love of the game, because there are a couple of guys uh, drinking beers at halftime for the other team. <laughs> and there are a couple of guys uh, just out there playing football. Um, and so you saw in many cases um, where I thought their coaching staff did a good job because they they knew what they were doing. It was, it was certainly limited as far as their um, fronts and stunts and blitz and coverages and formations and all that kind of stuff. But mm-hmm. they know what their athletes can do and, and they did it pretty well. Um, the, I have said this before, the difference is in American culture. We start football very, very young. Uh, my son, Matthew is in his, he's in his third year of playing flag football and he's nine years old. So we started at six and, and and I think that's common for most of our players. They start playing at, at six, seven, eight years old. Even if they're not playing tackle, they're introduced to football. Whereas in Italy and Spain, you really don't start a club team until you're 17 or 18. Uh, and so they may be physically so mature. Uh, their their immersion into the game is only two or three years old. And so they're still developing many, many of those skills. Um, their tackling is certainly not on a level like our players. Uh, they don't have the equipment. They don't have uh, the products that we have available to us—the to, to tackle rings and the sleds and all of that kind of stuff—and um, so th- those are things that that they're acquiring uh, at 20 and 21 years old, whereas our players have been doing it five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten years. They've been tackling yeah. uh, and refining those skills. Um, so it's 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 unique to see, and and as you mentioned, the variety is there and they truly have a passion and a love for the game because it's not their primary sport in that, in either country.
0: What'd you learn about your team in the course of this? I mean, you know, first off, like this is the first look for you maybe at, you know, life after Michael Netkowski. I go back to, you know, just to refresh my own memory because this was, I guess it was only maybe five and a half months ago, but it seems like a lot longer. You know, you guys took Mount Union to overtime Uh, You had a really successful game against them that I think most uh, programs would be really happy about. Um, I know i am kind of asked two different questions here at once, so I'm going to let you try to figure out what I just asked and how to answer it. I don't know
2: if we learned a lot. Um, With 53 players, you're trying to make sure, A, you play everybody, and B, nobody gets hurt. Um, And so throughout the spring, We certainly have evaluated the quarterback position and feel really really good about the quarterback position not sure who our starter is going to be but we have some really really good candidates um, at that position uh, and feel like we can win football games um, with uh, whomever is out there Uh, feel really good about our offensive line Um, uh, I know that was uh, I don't want to say a weakness you make the, the elite eight and you say you have a weakness and people think that i'm an idiot um when i say stuff like that um but we returned pretty much all five guys that started the game against mount union uh mm-hmm. we had a senior who was a little bit banged up and so uh our right guard uh, played that game and played a lot of games for us throughout the year and so we returned all five starters and and i thought um we did a really nice job up front during spring ball and then obviously uh over here as well we we uh we certainly overwhelmed them um their their training is just not what ours is especially at that critical position sure uh, as well and then our defense uh were undefeated in europe and were unscored upon in europe uh and okay. so uh i thought our defense did a, a wonderful job uh and it's really good to see some guys play in games right and, and go out there and you, so you do get this opportunity to see some guys compete who maybe haven't played for the first year or the second year of, of football at Muhlenberg, and, and we do play jv games um but to see them go out there in, in a game uh where they're keeping score um and to see them do some things and gain some confidence i i thought it was really beneficial from a football standpoint from a uh from a cross-cultural standpoint from a recruiting standpoint Not a lot of programs do this, and so we think we're unique in in bringing this to to certain families.
0: And I can't uh, let you go without talking about, you know, the big news that we talked about on our last podcast, um, including some of the great games that are being scheduled for this upcoming season in week one and week two. I mean, obviously, I look at the Muhlenberg website and you're 22-22. 2022 schedule isn't on it yet but I think everybody knows you guys are playing Mary Hardin and Baylor and then that's nine conference games so we basically know what your schedule is but uh tell us a little bit about you know what it took to decide to make that uh trip because that is you know is as, as much of a financial outlay as you guys are going through right now that's once every 3 years and now you have to you know fundraise or do whatever I guess to get yourselves to uh to Texas as well
2: yeah, so the spain trip is um brought on by the kids so the kids the parents the families will pay for that and then obviously the trip down to to belton texas to pay play the defending national champions uh that is uh i've been uh, shaking hands and kissing babies and, and doing a little bit of fundraising <laughs> to make sure that we're, we're we're taking care of uh there uh, but it was an opportunity we had a late opening and uh we had the usual suspects reach out who are always looking for games. Uh the WEAC, yep, uh and and St. John's and North Central and some other programs had reached out to us and we'd reached out to them. Uh and and we thought we were going to go in a couple of different directions uh and and looked into flights and we were, uh, a couple other teams were looking at changing games and it just couldn't huh. couldn't quite work out. And so we knew kind of Mary Hardin Baylor was there, and that was just a little bit further. Uh, for us and and then uh, uh, Coach Fredenberg actually reached out to me first um, as he was still working on a couple of things there and then Coach Harmon and I spoke uh, on the phone and and talked about uh, uh, coming down there and if it would be a return trip or not and then obviously when when the change happened with the Centennial and the Landmark that it didn't happen so it was just a one year deal Um, and so we were excited we knew we were going to have to play somebody really good Um, as it seems to be the case uh, with Whitewater, with St. John's, with all these programs, um, uh, anybody in the WEAC, right? Nobody wants to go there and play those guys. Doesn't matter which program it is. Um, And so um, it was a great opportunity uh, and our players are super excited for it. Um, And and we tell our players all the time that these are the moments you want. Win, lose, or draw, we're gonna go play maybe the best team in the country we'll find out in five and a half months and 16 weeks later we'll find out who is the best football team but right now they're as good as anybody and um and so whether we win we'll we'll find out what our weaknesses are and if we lose we'll find out what our weaknesses are and we'll get better for week two and so there's um few opportunities that you have like this and we want to embrace that um we want to have a unique program um going to spain is one of those things flying to texas to play the defending national, champ, national champion is another one of those unique opportunities um we're super excited for it i think mary hart baylor's excited for it i, th- I think division three should be excited for it um again pat you've been doing this longer than i have but i don't remember a slate of games uh early on in the season that feature some really, really good programs like this, where everybody ends up, who knows. Um, but uh, it's, I'm super excited. I tell everybody you got to watch not only our game, but some of the other games are, are <laughs> our headline and marquee games. Um, and, and you have a hard time saying, which is, I feel bad for you guys. Um, at <laughs> because when, when you have to pick what's the game of the week, you know, there are going to be some barn burners out there. Um, I'm not trying to lobby for Muhlenberg, Mary Hard Baylor, but I'm going to do it. And I think it should be the game of the week, week one. And I know there's some other ones out there. Uh, I think everybody knows which one will be week two.
0: Um, probably yes.
2: <laughs> uh, anybody listening does. And if you're listening for the first time, then go back and look at some people's schedules. Cause it's, it's really obvious.
0: I for for just half a second I thought you were gonna pull. Uh, if you're listening for the first time, go back and listen to podcast number three hundred three. Because if somebody else comes in and drops a podcast episode number on us, then I think Greg and I might just have to retire. That person is uh, clearly ready to take over hosting this podcast. So Nate Milne takes his team to Italy a few years ago. Takes his team to Spain. Um, you know, if the level of competition maybe not necessarily uh, up to what they're gonna see. In week one in the uh, defending national champs in Belton, Texas, you still get the opportunity to have this uh, team bonding experience and this educational experience. And really, uh, there was even more from Nate Milne that, uh, you know, is on the virtual cutting room floor somewhere. Uh, but this is a guy who basically, like I said, sounds like a, a history prof taking, a, uh, taking an academic trip. And that is one of the things that you get out of this as a, as a student athlete. Yeah, I think one of the one of my favorite things about that interview is
1: how much he didn't talk about football. I think you know, Division three athletics provides student athletes with a lot of great experiences just within the athletics themselves, but there is a cost. Like those athletes don't necessarily get the opportunities to study abroad um, without either sacrificing a season or sacrificing um, working with the program in a non traditional season. Winter sports athletes, you know, really don't have that opportunity at all. And so to build a broad opportunities into the football program, um, that's that's the move of a guy who gets it and gets Division three, the student athlete experience. And, uh, you know, those kinds of opportunities that he's providing every three years for his team, that's a big sell point for Muhlenberg football. And it's part of Muhlenberg
0: football's, profile growing as we've seen over the last handful of years right is that a differentiator that you know might sway someone who might otherwise go to some other program knowing that Muhlenberg is committed to doing the division three maximum of every three years uh, allowing their student athletes to do that encouraging setting it up for them I think that's certainly possible if it were me and I were recruiting it's a something other than sports this is what uh, division three can be all about It is.
1: And also, I mean, what a flex for Nate Milne to call in on the ATN hotline from from Barcelona, Spain, talking about how the nightlife is just getting cranked up on a Monday. I mean, that's that's a boss move. It really is.
0: One of the things that's um, on the cutting room floor that's going to go out to our Patreon subscribers. If they're interested to know how pizza is marketed in Barcelona, you can learn a little bit more about that. Uh, Argentona Box, B-O-C-S, was the team that they played. Seemed to be some sort of Pirates I looked up pirates in Catalan and it did not seem to be BOCS, so I don't know what that actually stood for but uh, you know again just an opportunity to get the kids out there and let them let them let all 53 guys play. It is it
1: have, they've gone Italy, Spain, maybe I don't know three years, maybe France I think that's sort of the
0: European trifecta there maybe Germany. Those are the places that uh, football teams seem to go. That's where there are but there are football programs in Germany. Uh, club programs. There are club programs in Austria. Some of those programs have, you know, uh, recent Division Three graduates on them. You might face, a, in some cases, a former prominent Division Three quarterback if you play some of those teams. Perhaps one that is
1: an alma mater of your school. I don't know exactly what uh, Michael Nekowski is doing
0: post-Muhlenberg, but uh, I don't know. Maybe you'll run into him there in the Austria Club League. Oh, you are straight in my uh, wheelhouse then, because uh, I know from LinkedIn that Michael Natkowski is an account executive at Johnson, Kendall and Johnson in Philadelphia.
1: So might not make practice next week in Austria, is what you're (laughs) saying?
0: (laughs) Es posible que no. Now with the D3Football.com Around the Nation podcast, joined by Peter Jennings Okay, I've had I've had this thought for the last couple years or so. Obviously, you know, Peter Jennings, the late, great ABC News anchor, has not been in the news for quite some time, uh, God rest his soul. But did you get confused or did, did people, you know, make these kind of jokes a lot? I, now I feel like I need to drop in some ABC Nightly News stuff here.
3: Uh, yeah, I used to get that a lot. Um, and I think he passed when I was uh, in college. And so... Um, slowly but surely, that's 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 gone by the wayside. But yeah, growing up, um, I was uh, it, constant jokes towards um, being a news anchor or a broadcaster in 2020 and all those different all those different references. Yeah, I got I got that plenty for sure.
0: I've done a poor job of introducing you. I haven't even mentioned the uh, relatively new head coach of football at the University of Wisconsin-Oshkosh, former offensive coordinator at UW-Whitewater, seemed destined to take the next great available coaching job in the WIAC. I I have to, I have to have thought. Um, and so far, I don't know how many months we are now into this, a few months into this, how's it been going?
3: It's it's well, first off, thank you very much for the compliment. Uh, and this is a, this is absolutely great, a a great spot to, to land. And, um, it's been fantastic. opening. as, as with anything, right? Like it's a little bit like people tell you that, uh, you, you know, you don't know what it's like to be a father until you're actually a father. Well, you don't really know what it's like to be a head coach until you're a head football coach. There's a, you there's a lot of um, asks, and, and then you you know it's it you have to always you always you always feel like you're doing like a balancing act, right? Trying to make sure that you're doing everything possible for for your student athletes while also trying to do what you can to to promote the the university and the the football program itself and. You don't want to take, take time away from the students, but you don't also want to take time away from um, helping grow the brand. And, and that can be a, a little bit of a tightrope for sure. Over the
0: course of these offseason podcasts, we've talked with new head coaches at a number of prominent Division III football institutions, and we've talked about things like getting to know the guys on the other side of the ball. Like if you're someone who's been promoted from within, you obviously have a whole new roster to take on. But one of the things that I know that you have had to focus maybe more on than you would have, well, certainly than you would have had to as an assistant coach, is the whole process of trying to fill out a schedule.
3: Yeah, that's, that's been very time consuming. You know, when I, um, when I was interviewing for this job, we, we thought we had a full 10 games relatively locked up, um, Mm. some for various reasons and things. I don't even know, know why. Um, when I did take the job, we're, um, we're back down to eight games. And so, uh, you know, when you, when you have weeks two, three, and four open, uh, with the week one matchup against East Texas Baptist, that's, that's a daunting, daunting task. And um, it really weighed on me because again, what's best for the student athletes, right? These guys only get 40 guaranteed games for their careers. And, you know, it's my, my responsibility, our our administration's responsibility now to go and try to make sure that we ensure getting them the maximum number of games. So that weighed on me, right? Because that's completely out of my control. Uh, You know, we've had, we've had a couple of assistant coaches, um, move on and take some really good jobs. And and that's great. And is that stressful? Yes. But hiring their replacements, I'm in control of that. And I can yeah. feel I can rest my head at night knowing that I'm going to be able to find great replacements um, for those assistant coaches. When it comes to scheduling games, that's up to somebody else to decide. Right. They Not only do they have to have an opening, they have to want to play uh, UW Oshkosh. and They ha- want to have to play a WIAC caliber or a WIAC opponent. And um, that's not that's not what everybody wants and that's fine. And, and, but it does stress you out when you're trying to fill a schedule because you want to do what's best for the kids.
0: Do people accept you as like the whitewater guy coming in to coach Oshkosh? How's that been? How's the reception been so far?
3: It's been really good. I mean, it's not without a, a few hiccups, right? And, and I'll still hear the, the, get the comments about, did you, did you get rid of all your purple and whatnot that. Uh, the, the great thing for me is uh, just the different experiences I've had leading to this, to this post, to, to being the head coach here. Um, you know, I spent four great years at Whitewater. It was awesome time. We won a lot of games. Um, some of my best friends are still coaches there. Um, shoot. Some of my best friends have gone and become coaches <laughs> other places. Right. Um, but uh, you know, my time at Whitewater was awesome, but that doesn't define who I am as a coach. And I think you spend a little bit of time with me um, in the meeting room um, at a team meeting, um, you know, at an alumni event, you you can recognize that. Uh, yeah, I learned a lot. And I, I, there's a lot of takeaways from Whitewater, but there's also a lot of takeaways from Rhodes and Carroll and Iowa Wesleyan. And and that's in Illinois College. I mean, those are the things that um, I think help have helped me get to this point for sure.
0: You were, of course, hired uh, before spring practice started, got a chance to take this program entirely through spring ball. What is spring ball like for you know, a guy who's kind of hitting the ground running as a head coach. And then I guess, let me uh, also tack in on this, you know, how much hand do you have in the offense here for the fall of 22?
3: Yeah. So I were, so spring ball. Yeah, that was, that was a, that was a whirlwind. Um, so I got, to, I officially could step foot on campus on March 5th and we started spring practice, uh, April 1st. And there's a spring break involved in between uh-huh. those two things. So, gotcha. um, to say that we were, we were, we were, um, you know, burning the candle at both ends would, would be an understatement. Uh, we had awesome buy-in from the coaching staff. They, it didn't matter. They wanted to, they wanted to get ready, right. They wanted to put their best foot forward for the kids um, for, for spring ball. So we worked our tails off and I think we put together a really, really good product for, uh, for the month of April uh, on the practice field. Our guys flew around with reckless abandon. Um, we were, you uh, we were urgent. We, um, we made sure that we were, we were sprinting no matter where we were going. Right. I mean, it was, we, we became a very efficient practice program and that that's ultimately my goal. I want us to be the best practice team in the country, because if, if we are, then that's just going to pay dividends on, on, on Saturdays. And so that's extremely important to me. And I thought our guys did a great job uh, scheme wise. I think we got, you know, as much as you can get in in a Division three <laughs> spring practice structure, right? Yeah.
0: Um,
3: but scheme-wise, I think we were sharp, but the big thing was just this, the tempo of practice and how we prepared for practice and how we executed practice. Um, we definitely upped the ante, ante on that. Um, when it comes to fall, uh, you know, we are um, going to be hiring an offensive coordinator. Uh, I still expect to call, call plays, at least for the first year, just as I... Work my way into this head coaching role, right? And and I, yeah, I I would like to think that it was play calling that got me to this point. And I want to make sure I'm putting my best foot forward for the program. Well,
0: and it makes sense too. I mean, if you don't know who the offensive coordinator is come you know August first or whatever, I think I would have to assume your default is going to be well. Of course, I'm going to call the plays because I don't know who else it would be.
3: Right. That's exactly right. And there's you know, and that's it's going to be collaborative with with whoever we hire. But it's uh, um, as far as just game planning and, and the whole deal. And I'm a big collaboration guy when it comes to offensive and defensive and special teams and, and how you prepare for a game because if there was any right way to do it, everybody would be doing it, right? There's there's a yeah. there's multi, multitude of ways to be successful in the three phases of football. And so I want to make sure we're collaborating on that. But I also, I also want to make sure that the responsibility on Saturdays falls back on me on the offensive side of the ball because ultimately the success or failure of the program on Saturdays falls back on me. And if I can if I can put our best foot forward or my best foot forward, I'm going to make sure we can do that.
0: Right. So, of course, uh, as I've mentioned a couple of times, you need to hire an offensive coordinator. Luke Vinay left about a month ago to go take the head coaching job at UW-Stevens Point. There's been a lot of shuffling uh, you know, with uh, Pat Cerrone's uh, departure from that job, uh, who was your predecessor. What is like the typical timeline? Like, When do you hope to have somebody on board at this point?
3: Yeah, it should be in the next week or so. Um, that would be my my hope. I think we we I've narrowed it down to a couple of really good candidates, and and um, I think that we should be able to move pretty pretty quickly with that. And um, so I, I and I'm candidates that it's a good job, right? This is a good, this is a great spot to play, to, to coach football. It's a great spot to live. So um, there, we had a, a decent number of really really good candidates.
0: Uh, Oshkosh right now, you know, 10 years in a row with a winning record, which is, you know, that's a that's a, that's a pretty good number, right? Obviously, there are some streaks in Division Three that dwarf that. But for Oshkosh, this is the longest sustained streak of success that the program has ever had, um, you know, and counting in that, you know, a trip to the national championship game couple of a couple of other trips to the semifinals you know this is not the Oshkosh program that Pat Cerrone took over this is one that now has high expectations for football much like it has in the past had high expectations for men's or women's basketball or baseball or any of those other great storied sports in Oshkosh history
3: so that's what makes it so appealing right like when you when you are the offense coordinator or coordinator at a school like Whitewater going and taking a rebuilding and trying to to move on to a rebuilding process at the division three level might not be as appealing, or definitely, at least for me, was not as appealing as taking uh, over a program that had, had such consistent sustained success over the past decade. And that's a tip of the cap to, to coach Cerrone, to, to the coaching staff, to the alumni, to the administrators here, they did a phenomenal job in laying the groundwork for a really, really good uh, football program. And, and, and again, that's, that was what was so appealing to me, is that okay let's let's um, let's get up there let's evaluate let's take a step back and see where i can implement uh, procedures or implement a plan that can help take us to the next level right opposed to hey we're starting from ground zero we've got to build the foundation right right mm-hmm. right now we're building on a great foundation and it's again tip of the cap to the guys that came before me because they did a great job and this program's in a in a really good spot and and now it's on it's it's on me to, to to try to to try to up the ante a little bit.
0: Yeah, and with that even said, I mean, even so, in the WAAC, you can come in, you can have a great program, and they'll you know, like last year, finish fourth in the league, right? Um, you know, obviously, you know, a, a close game down the stretch to uh, River Falls. You know, that this team lost to Lacrosse. This team lost to Whitewater. Two teams that made the playoffs. River Falls was right there as well. I mean, you guys could be. I don't know, number 25 in the rankings right now and be fourth place in the WIC. So what, you know, having seen some of that up close and now having seen your guys in the spring and knowing who's coming back, what are the things that uh, the, the program has to do in order to get back into that playoff hunt, into the WIAC championship hunt?
3: Yeah, Isn't that crazy? I mean, this, this league is, it's, it's no joke. Um, if, uh, if we could have held on against lacrosse last year, um, and and, and slow down uh river Falls just a little bit right it, this could have been a, a second third fourth round uh playoff team right yeah. that's the type of talent you have in the upper tier of of, of the the wiac and or the wyac <laughs> um but yeah to, to to make sure that we are not in that position in in the, in the future that we i shouldn't say that that we are in the position of being in the upper half where we can make a run um we've got to make sure that we're consistent at, at the start of each half. And we've got to finish the first half. We've got to finish the second half. Uh, we need to do a little bit better job of uh, sustaining drives and, and ending drives. And that sounds like coach speak, but you know, there's a lot of points that we scored last year and we averaged 52 plays a game. And, you mm-hmm. know, you can talk to, to coach Vinay and, 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 and he'll tell you right now, Hey, we've got to, We, we scored a lot of points, but we weren't on the field long enough. And that just, and um and that's true. And so we've got to find a way to make sure that we give the defense a break and we utilize the the, the, the play clock and the time of possession. And, and then in the same sentence, Coach denbron has got to make sure that we are, we're getting teams off the field. And I'm confident that we can do that. There's a good group that comes back. We have a lot of really talented skill players uh, on both sides of the ball. We're going to be young at the offensive and defensive lines. And so as those guys gel, as those guys mature, uh, I think that we can really do some special things.
0: Tell us a little bit about some of the key guys who are coming back.
3: Yeah, our, our um, starting quarterback is a two-year starter for us, Kobe Berghammer. Um, mm-hmm. Took some really nice strides in the spring. We uh, worked a, a lot with his lower half to create um, more consistent uh, timing with his release, and I thought he took really nice steps that way. Um, Tony Stager is a, a really top-tier uh, wide receiver along with Trey Tetzlaff. These guys can can really fly, and, and got great ball skills. Peter McCutton. Um, you know, it's tough to see what a running back truly can do in division three spring ball, right? But Peter McCutton, right. it, it, he's fast, he's big, and he catches the ball well out of the backfield. Those things um strike me as really appealing, right? Defensively, um, you know, we had a couple of guys that uh, you know, we're short crediting this spring that will be come back and, and be big time leaders for us. Um, you know, Tori Jandrin, um to Kyle Sharon These guys are guys that I didn't get to see run around this spring, but I sure as heck knew who they were when I was scheming against them. Right. 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 Yeah. Um, I think our secondary is going to be young, but they took some really nice steps uh, as well Um hyper-athletic uh, and, and, and aggressive. And that's going to be fun for me or not fun for me. Well, one or the two we'll see <laughs> depending on uh, how, how, how aggressive they play on, on, on Saturdays, but uh, very, very excited to see this young group. And, and I, I don't know. I, Feel pretty. I feel like we we have all the pieces to be a very nice We Act team. Let's just say that. And then what, what, like you said, once you get into league play, and we and our non conference right now is no joke with the two teams that we're we're looking to play, and hopefully a third. Um, you know, anything can happen in that league. So, but I do think that we have all the makings to be pretty good. Weird,
0: so yeah, sounds like UW oshkosh still needs a game still in week three or week four. Uh we talked about, you know, previously that they're playing East Texas Baptist. They will also be playing Northern Michigan, which is a D2 school, which is uh not that far from UW UW and a team that they've played before. But uh trying to find someone to play at that time, I don't know. I always feel like and I've said this elsewhere. Um, You know, that maybe should have broken this Mount Union uh contract between Mount Union and Defiance. Mount Union and Defiance in week one? No. Replace that with Mount Union against UW-Oshkosh as a week two game. This would have been better for Mount Union. It would have been much better for Defiance and better for UW-Oshkosh. This is a rare win-win-win scenario. Maybe Mount Union can split squad that, get two games in one. I don't know. Is that allowed? I mean that's allowed, but of course uh, they don't have a. Uh, the, they'd have to lose a conference game uh, in order to do that. McAllister did that several years ago, playing both Northwestern and Trinity Bible on the same day. They did not split that squad. Some of those guys played in both games. That's that's awesome. Mount Union could take its JV team, I think, and beat Defiance right now. Put that on your bulletin board if you have to. I don't think that's a super hot take. Uh, but it is a take. It is. I don't know if you need the oven mitts for that one. Um. <laughs> But yeah, I
1: don't. It's hard to see what Defiance gets from that game um, with Mount Union. And it's definitely difficult to see what Mount Union gets from that game against Defiance. You mentioned, you know, Oshkosh is looking for a game in week three or four and finding non conference games uh, in the third or fourth week of the season. That's an increased degree of difficulty where, you know, they're already having difficulty finding games. Most conferences by that time, they've begun conference play. You're into the start of the academic year, which makes lengthy travel for teams uh, less appealing. We talked a little bit last month about some of the reasons why Oshkosh has trouble finding games, but it's really no less head-scratching that literally nobody will play them. Uh, when teams stop saying yes to Mount Union, maybe maybe then, and Mount Union is, the, is a team scrambling for a week one game, maybe we'll get that Oshkosh Purple Raider home-and-home home that, uh, that you've
0: tried to manifest here. Well, and they've played before, of course. So it's not uh, it, it it's not out of the realm of possibility. I think that was twenty twelve, sometime along there, sometime in the Nate Wera era. I don't can't believe I've never said Wera era before. I should have used that quite a few times. Like the conferences where teams are looking for games, or you know, have non conference games to give in week three and week four. You're talking about the UMAC. You're talking about the ECFC. Um, you know, neither of those are going to provide a good level of competition for a YX school either. You've got, I mean, the if those Liberty League and Empire eight teams aren't playing each other, uh, you've got opportunities there, but of course they're very far apart from UW Oshkosh. Um, I haven't seen a full Salisbury schedule yet, uh, for some reason here. And we are, uh, you know, we are in late May, but for some reason we don't have a, a Salisbury schedule yet. Last year, of course they played Whitewater. So they're not uh, afraid of scheduling somebody like Oshkosh um, oh, they're playing. Sure. We know they're playing in
1: 2019. Salisbury played
0: Oshkosh, I believe. Yeah, right. There you go. And we've got Salisbury's playing Stevenson and Western New England. We know for sure. We assume they're probably playing Albright again, but we have neither Salisbury nor Albright schedule as of the time that this podcast is being recorded. I, I, am, uh, I am quite sure that uh, Coach Jennings has perused all of the schedules on our website and has called plenty of schools about this.
1: You know, looking ahead to uh, Wisconsin Oshkosh in 2022, as you said, Jennings is inheriting one of the better programs in Division 3 They've been among the better teams that we've seen over the last decade or so. He's got a solid foundation and tradition there. He's bringing plenty of experience with him from Whitewater. Um, and he'll pick up with one of the more experienced quarterbacks in the WIAC. I'm, I'm being converted here. He's got one of the more experienced quarterbacks in the WIAC, and Kobe Berghammer. So there's not a lot of reasons to think that Oshkosh is not going to be a challenger to Whitewater for the WIAC title and back in the postseason. Even if there's one fewer pool C spots, not next year for 2023.
0: This thing where I'm staring you down for using the uh, pronunciation WIAC is not really working super well in audio. This is me describing it. We'll talk more about this later in this podcast, oddly enough. There's more to come about WIAC and WIAC. But right now, it's time to put Greg on the spot. This should be a, a question that is super topical for both you and for Nate Milne. So, Nate Milne, the head coach of Muhlenberg, took his team to Spain. As he and I were talking after the end of the interview, he noted that he did not take his wife to Spain. There are small children at home, there are children who are going to school, and all that, but yes, coach left his wife at home. So I ask you, Greg, what is appropriate spousal compensation for leaving your wife at home while you go to Spain. And I will just note for the record that Greg is recording this podcast on his wedding anniversary. And uh, Tracy was very kind to not object because this was the only time slot that uh, Greg and I both had quote unquote available. So I I don't know Coach Bill's wife and I'm not
1: sure exactly the types of things that she likes, but if I had to personalize um this like for me first of all if I went to Spain and I didn't bring my wife with me who has been previously a professor of Spanish <laughs> right. if I did not bring her to Spain with me I wouldn't need to worry about what to bring back because that would be that would be the end of all of it Como se dice suitcase? Exactly. No say. Were I in that situation, I would be inclined to find... Well, uh, candlesticks always make a nice gift. ...one of the finest jewelers in Barcelona, and I would pick out something uh, very shiny, probably with a sparkly uh, stone in it. Um, my wife likes bracelets and necklaces with pendants, and that is probably where I would go. It would definitely be uh, shiny and... Uh, sparkly, and something that would be appropriate for most
0: everyday wear, but flashy enough to get noticed. See, this is where you and I differ and also why you are still married Um, because jewelry did not ever cross my mind. The first thing that came to mind was like, I think the baseline has got to be like four-day girls weekend spa trip, something like that. I mean, like you do not make up for this You know, with just taking the kids for a couple of days or taking the kids to the mall or something like that. This is multiple days worth of payback that is required. I think that is a good point. You may be looking at a multi, a multi-pronged
1: approach to, um, repay that, repay that debt. So yeah, there, there may be, you know, oceanfront
0: lodging somewhere for a weekend or so. I promised you bonus coverage on Wyak versus WIAC. Apparently, uh, Coach Jennings had not pondered this before. Here's what he had to say. I got to pull out even further now and ask you about Wyak versus WIAC. We have this conversation a lot. I feel like the uh, the epicenter of the WIAC pronunciation is kind of right around Oshkosh. So it just makes me wonder, like, are you a Wyack guy who got converted to WIAC? Or, you know, what's, what's your take on that?
3: I think I've always been a WIAC guy and okay. I couldn't, I couldn't even tell you, I couldn't even tell you why. Um, I, I, it, but I hear it so, uh, so often, right. Like it doesn't even click that somebody called it the WIAC. Um, I guess technically it probably should be the WIAC, right? Like it's, if, if it's an acronym, right, you're not going to, you're not going to change the pronunciation of the, of the I and give it the soft I or whatever. Now we're getting into cr- grammatically correct speaking. I, I haven't taken, um, language for a uh for a long time or english for since probably seventh grade but um but yeah it probably should be WIAC technically now you're gonna have me thinking about that pat and i'm gonna have to i'm gonna go back to the old drawing board and have to really just, uh, decide how i'm gonna pronounce our conference
0: <laughs> excellent well we can also provide other possibilities wyac is a possibility uh the wisconsin conference it could be referred to you referred to it in the uh, before our conversation started as the state league and i think people uh uh, some people refer to it as that way as well. There's plenty of ways to go about it.
3: Yeah, yeah, the state league. Yeah, I guess that that's probably definitely regional for for right. It's just, Illinois. And,
0: it would be only the Midwest Conference and maybe the uh, NAC schools that would call it the state league, right?
3: Yeah, I would think. So. I bet you, if you got into the CCIW, someone would call it the state league too, right? Because there's enough crossover, whether it's um, non-conference or in the playoffs. So
0: it does really seem to me like the eastern half of the state is more W is more WIAC. I don't understand why we don't say MIAC, right, about the MIAC um and that sort of thing. I just it it boggles my mind. I just figure if if nothing else could we just agree on just to call it the WIAC. Maybe we'll just go with that. I you know, maybe
1: we can do just go WIAC, like we can just forge our own our own way there and not have to pick a side. Um you know, increasingly we keep talking to these coaches and we act seems to come up more and more and more so yeah
0: um
1: i feel like there's not one right answer i think it is uh fairly regional but um i don't think you're offending anybody if you say it one way or the other everybody loves the state league up there i think that's the that's the main takeaway
0: we'll have to have more conversations with the uh coaches in the western half of the state and see what uh, we come up with we've got a new coach at uw platteville we can chat with we haven't had uh matt walker on the podcast from uw river falls in quite some time and that's a guy within driving distance for me i could go over there and have a conversation with him at some point um i see greg's eyes bugging out because that there's the depaul wabash thing going there i get it there's uh there's possibilities there you know maybe we have a conversation with. Uh, You know, Clay Birmingham at UW Stout at some point and see if the western half of the state is a little more wyak like I think that it is. I am. I'm. I'm interested to see next month who is going to be
1: in the uh, the new coach the new coach hot seat for uh, the the June pod. We've had we've had the uh, the new coach segment
0: each offseason pod so far. That is not an accident. If you have suggestions for that, you can hit us up on the twitters. Uh, you know how to do that. You can send us a uh, tweet. Uh, you can tweet us at D3Football. You can tweet Greg at, at WallyWabash. We have a Twitter question here in this pod as well. Now's the time on Sprockets when we dance. This one, we're going to start with one that comes from Jack Burroughs, or, you know, as you also know him as T Bone Doggy96. That's D A W G G I E 96. Asking. Good question. Which conference will suffer the most from one less automatic bid to the playoffs? If it were me, I have a I have a conference in mind, but uh, I'm going to let Greg talk first.
1: Yeah. So when I when I see this question, I'm thinking, you know, it's probably one of the handful of conferences that tend to dominate the pool C selection. So I'm looking at um, the WEAC, the CCIW, the MIAC. Maybe the OAC, although the like the runner-up OAC hasn't been selected as a uh, tournament partic- participant all of the time. They, that streak has been broken a couple of times in the last few tournaments. So, you know, I don't know. Maybe it, Maybe it's the OAC where we can't necessarily count on a runner-up from that conference. Like, they had already sort of lost their grip on that, and maybe this more so pulls them further away from – from that uh, pool C selection. It could also be a league like the Centennial, which has had a couple of teams in recently, but that the, you know, I mean the Centennial, the composition of the Centennial is also going to change, which changes the calculus for them also a little bit. You know, I think that the competition for those four spots increases amongst those top four or five conferences. And I think one of those conferences will probably start missing out
0: more than they're used to i think that's certainly possible at the about the oac the one that i actually wrote down is uh, the miac just because you have not only that i mean you know who was the last team in the field last year was it bethel it might well be MIAc is also you know kind of from a football standpoint shot itself in the foot by showing saint thomas the door Um, You know, the the teams that uh, were added to the league don't add to the strength of the league. They're teams that are more at the bottom of the standings right now. Um, Who I think the MIC would be the first one I would point to. And I think the OAC should definitely be considered on that list as well. It's going to be even harder at eight and two, even if you are someone who loses to St. John's twice to get an at-large bid when we're down to, we go to four. Am I, am I, is that right? Yes. We go from five to four in 2023. In 2023, we've got some time. Another question to put into this podcast comes from Antion Cuff. I hope that's how you pronounce it because it could be Antoine, but it's spelled differently. Anyway, Oh 8 You've seen him if you follow our mentions. Uh, when will we see a team that is one-dimensional? And he uh, cites, i.e. air raid, win a national championship, all other factors like administrative support being equal. Um, I'll be honest with you, the last time we had someone win a national championship that you could really call a one-dimensional program i mean you're going back pretty far it's not of course just the augustana teams right those uh uh, you know some of those ithaca teams that won national championships were very very heavily run focused but if i look at you know if salisbury right now or springfield in the past is the best of the one-dimensional running offense teams you know, it seems like the quarterfinals is the uh, is the ceiling for that. And then, if you think about air raid teams, we haven't had an air raid team be super successful in Division Three at all. Basically, I'm not missing out, right? No, I mean, the I mean, Nick Murray
1: had a moment. I think they made a tournament, but they didn't go very far in that tournament. Did make a tournament, you're right. You to give McMurray and then credit. they changed divisions and then they changed back, and it was a whole thing. <laughs> the preponderance of evidence here suggests that to get really deep in the tournament, you have to be balanced, and maybe some teams that are so dominant, like Mountain Union or uh, wisconsin whitewater could if they choose to be one-dimensional be really good at just one thing but why make it easier to defend your team when you have that much talent and so you know i think really i think really deep and dominant playoff runs start at the line and go out and i think you do have to be really solid at running the ball to get all the way to the championship but then you know umhb we saw last year, I mean, they were st- definitely a strong running team, but their their playoff run
0: really exploded when they started slinging the ball all over the place. Absolutely. Yeah, I think the conventional wisdom for almost 20 years has been you have to be able to run the ball in order to compete in December because if nothing else, the weather may not agree with you by the time you get that deep in the playoffs, and frankly, you know, in just about every case, someone who you're going to face in the national quarterfinals and certainly by the semifinals and almost absolutely by the stag bowl is someone who's going to be able to D you up, right? You would have to be the world's most efficient triple offense team in order to survive in a stag bowl against, you know, Mary Harden Baylor or Whitewater or something like that. I mean, Even the Salisbury teams that have done better lately are not those triple option teams of you know, 2012 or so when, uh, you know, Salisbury went to Whitewater having, you know, won in triple overtime the week before and then lost 34-14 in the national quarterfinals, et cetera, et cetera. This is not that team. Even they are a little more two-dimensional. What would that be? Would that just be two-dimensional, three-dimensional? Anyway, not one-dimensional. I think that's what's necessary.
1: You know, if there's any one dimension that is a common threat to national champions, it's top-level top defense. And then offense,
0: you, you
1: need to be sort of equally competent.
0: And this was Around the Nation podcast number 304, released on May 26th of 2022. Thanks for listening and keep an eye out for continuing coverage throughout the offseason. You know how it goes. We've said it before. You can support production of this podcast and the entire D3Sports.com family of websites by visiting Patreon.com D3Sports. But even if you can't afford to support us financially, you can help us out by telling a friend, a classmate, a fellow alumnus about the show, and you can rate and review us in the various places where people rate and review podcasts. You can reach us to talk more about Division Three football on Twitter. That uses the D3FB hashtag. I'm at D3Football. Greg is at Wally Wabash. We have a a a message board devoted to Division 3 sports. Did you know? Join the conversation by registering the post at d3boards.com. Also, you can follow d3football.com on Facebook. The executive producer of the Around the Nation podcast is Pat Coleman. Production assistance provided by Dave McHugh. Our theme music is powered to by DJ Mentos. We use more of his tracks as well, including the one that's running here as I Am Talking. You can find those at djmentos.com or you can find them on Spotify. Thanks to Nate Milne, thanks to Peter Jennings, thanks uh, to sports information directors, Mike Falk and Ken and Tim, and thanks to the originator of Around the Nation on D3Football.com, Keith McMillan, and thanks to my co-host, Greg Thomas.
1: You know, I listened to, I had no idea that they were off in Barcelona. Definitely not at this time when you made that call. I wonder if
0: they used the ore to get over there and back. I don't know. It's hard to take the ore probably on the plane, right? But you have to figure... um, You got to check that, yeah. Well, and you have to figure that, uh, you know, presumably there were probably a number of turnovers. Uh, You know, we didn't talk about a score, but obviously it was a shutout. (laughs) That joke is going to land with our audience. (laughs) I mean, (laughs) the the parents in our audience are totally going to be into it how much of
1: how much of the Division three budget would go to putting a stag bowl in Europe? Put in a bid.
0: Who knows? <laughs> Put in a bid. Absolutely. Thank you, Thank you so much,
3: everybody.